Good morning. Uh, welcome. If you're joining us online, thank you for tuning in or for the overflow. Glad you're here. I'm, I'm even glad you all are here. Um, Rick is not here this morning. He is in Boston. If you didn't know, he serves on the North American Mission Board on one of their executive teams, which the North American Mission Board is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, kind of in charge of making sure that the gospel goes out to North America. So he will be back next week and begin uh, us walking through the letter of 2 Timothy. Um, and don't forget, next week is Mother's Day. It is gradu- high school graduation, senior Sunday, and it is the, the change to 8.30, 9.45, and 11 o'clock, which means this is my last Sunday to preach as long as I one, I've got this, you know, this extra time, and Rick's not even here to shut me down. So um, you're in for a real long treat here this morning. Um, we, we're, we're continuing on in our, our series, Family Better Together. And when you say it like solo, like family, better together, it can almost sound like a church Hallmark movie, doesn't it? You know, just sweet and nice. But we all know that being a family isn't necessarily an easy thing. Being a family, staying together as a family, functioning as a family, it's not easy because sometimes when you're together as a family, there is conflict. There are differences. There's there's stuff you got to work through together. We are better together. That's, That's a guarantee as a church, as a family, but it's not easy. Sometimes the reason why it's hard is because we just bring a different perspective. You know it's true in your family. Some of you like the AC at 68. Some of you like it at 78. Some of you like the beach. Some of you like the mountains. Some of you like loud and lots of people. Some of you like quiet and alone. Some of you like your chocolate chip cookies without nuts, which is the right way to have them. Some of you like them with nuts, which is obviously the wrong way to have them. Right? We think differently, and that can often create conflict, but it makes us better together. Being a family also means that we bring unique gifts and abilities to our family. Like in, in my family alone, what's a beautiful family sitting out there? Um, you know, my wife brings organization, dreams, project. Let's do things the best that we can. Me, I bring, hey, let's slow down. Let's, let's take it easy. Until it's time to like be somewhere on time, then I'm all go. My, my daughter, my oldest daughter brings joy and peace to the family. My son, Breck, brings truth and competition to our family. My daughter, Bryn, brings creativity and projects and, and a fearlessness to our family such that when she was, I think she was like four or five, we woke up to noise in the kitchen. Like, who's out there? And she's making scrambled eggs on her own. It's like, yeah, why not? Just ought to give it a try. My daughter, Landry, brings comfort and sensitivity, thoughtfulness. My son, Crew, brings laughter and lots of noise right now, but still compassion and affirming words. Right? We, we, and then there's this mix of us all together. We bring different things unique to the family. The problem with having different strengths and gifts that we bring to our family is sometimes we think our gifts don't matter as much as the other person's gifts, right? Because, oh, well, that's, that's an obvious strength. And they have their so, you know, this, and I'm not that. But then sometimes we fail. So sometimes we fail to properly value what others bring to the family as well. 
well, I mean, I'm good at this, so why can't they be good at that? So we either value ourselves too high or we don't value others enough. And sometimes we don't value ours, ourselves, our gifts enough. These things are true for our families. They're true within our church. So this morning, though, what we're going to look at Romans 12, 3 through 8, and look at our role within the body, within the family of Christ, and what it specifically has to say about that topic. And as we consider our individual role and function within the body of Christ, we're going to see that, number one, we need to look at ourselves with the correct perspective, with the right perspective, right? That's where it begins. And then we're going to see that God has entrusted us with unique gifts, unique abilities, spiritual gifts to be used within this family, within this body. But let me be clear from the start about what we need to hear. Is that you bring something to the church, to this church. You are important and you are needed in order for this church to carry out the, the mission of what God has left us here to accomplish. You're needed. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, which those go together, then you have been given a set of spiritual gifts to be used. Now in Romans 1, chapters 1 through 11, Paul is proclaiming that we have been made righteous, given a new identity and a righteous position through Christ. But now in chapter 12, he takes a pivot and says, well, what does that look like practically? How do we live that out among our church, among our world? So, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. But what Paul starts with here at the beginning of chapter 12 is he says we need to look at ourselves with the right perspective. He carries that in verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to you that every among you not, should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So how should we view ourselves within this body? Well, it says very clearly, with humility, not with self-exaltation. See, humility, and even it says, the first key word, it starts with grace. It says, Paul, for the, for the grace given to me, Paul understood that his position was because of grace, that what he was doing was because of God's grace, because he was an enemy of Christ, and God called him to be an apostle of Christ. When grace is in place, we then realize that we have no reason to think more importantly of ourselves because what we've been given is not because of ourselves. It is not earned. It was a gift. It also says we are to think with sober judgment. When someone is sober, it means they're thinking clearly. They can see reality. I mean, they see things the way they really are. And Paul is saying that a sober believer understands reality, the reality of the situation, and that we have no reason to overestimate nor underestimate who we are. So how do we view ourselves? Well, the second thing is we view ourselves with sound biblical thinking. It is wrong to think of ourselves as higher or more important than we are, right? That is pride, that is arrogance. But it is equally wrong to view ourselves as less than we really are, to diminish God's awesome design and gifting to you, to diminish the gifts that he has given to you. That is, that is equally wrong. 
a false humility. I would say an, an ungodly humility. Instead, we must think of ourselves exactly in step with what God's word says about who we are and what he's designed us to do. So we view ourselves with humility and we view ourselves biblically. But there's more with how we view ourselves. In verse five, four, four and five, Paul kind of talks about, he starts with a four. He's gonna give a reason kind of why we view ourselves with humility and sound thinking. Verse four, four is in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. Paul says, just look at the human body. This is a great illustration. Lots of parts to the human body. You got hands and feet and and toes and a nose and a mouth and and all these organs and, and parts upon parts upon parts. And every part maybe except for the appendix and the gallbladder, right? I guess we can do without tonsils. Every part, though, has a function. It's needed. It's essential. So we view ourselves as this, as someone who fulfills an essential and unique function within the body. That's what it says. Not all the members have the same function. He's created us to do different things. But every part is needed. How else do we, should we humbly view ourselves? Well, as a member of one body. One body. So just as, as the human body has lots of parts, yet it's one body, so also, so we, though many, many parts, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. In other words, we, we are members of one another. There's an attachment and an interdependency that we don't always acknowledge or we don't always feel, but it is there. That is what it means to be a part of the body, the family of Christ. There's no room for us thinking that we can survive on our own, that, that we got this independently. It's almost like this, right? God designed all the parts to be a part of one body. If you Walking through the park and you find a hand on the ground, you would go, wow, there's a, what's that doing there? The first question you might ask is probably not, is that a right hand or a left hand? Did they clean their nails or not? No, the first question you ask is, where's the body? Because hands go with the body. All the parts, every part is to be connected into one body. Different parts, different functions within the body. And Paul's now going to describe a few of those parts or the functions within this, in this body in verses 6 to 8. But he wants to make sure that these Roman believers and that we as believers know that every one of us has a role to play within this body. We have a unique function. Everybody is essential. You are an essential worker, right? The body of Christ doesn't care about COVID-19. Everybody is an essential worker. So we view ourselves with humility, not self-exaltation, with a sound biblical view. We view ourselves as having an essential and an important, unique function within the body. We are part of one body, but also this. We view ourselves as someone entrusted with spiritual gifts for service within the body. 
Verse six, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We have been given a spiritual gift. Or in this verse, it talks about a a grace gift. A gift that is empowered through God's grace. And God sovereignly distributes them according to his grace. Now, when we talk about spiritual gifts, there's naturally questions that come up as, well, what about this? What about this? Right? We all bring different backgrounds and understandings of what that means. I'm not going to answer every question about spiritual gifts this morning. You can, you can go ask Rick next week. No, he's not going to talk on that either. But we're going to just deal specifically what it says in Romans 12 here about spiritual gifts. But these grace gifts are spiritual gifts. And what is a spiritual gift? It is this. It is a God-given, right? That's what grace is. It is a gift. God-given and spirit-empowered ability for service to God, believers, and others. Paul, Paul is not referring here to gifts in the natural realm, right? That you're born with a natural ability to, for music or, or athletics or whatever it might be. Now, those are, those are gifts from God too, so it's not like you create those. But he's talking about a spiritual gift. In other words, something when you place your faith in Christ, that the Holy Spirit has given you a, a set of gifts usually, that when you use them, it benefits the body in its mission. It, it proclaims the gospel in a more powerful way to a, a lost world. It's, it's not something that you do in your own power. It's the Holy Spirit working through you to, to bring about the health and the function of the body to glorify God, to help others grow and become more mature like Christ, to equip them to bring the spiritually dead into a saving relationship with Christ. Those are what the spiritual gifts are meant to do. But these spiritual gifts have been given and we have a responsibility then to use those within the body. And what are those responsibilities? Well, let's, let's talk about that. We first see in verse six that we have different gifts. There are different gifts, gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. It's not like one has more grace than another. It's just different forms of grace. You have been given this grace gift. You have been given that grace gift. And God determines how these gifts get dispensed. Our Father knows what's best for us and best for our our body. And he says, let us use them, though. We have a responsibility to use these grace gifts among the body. Now, Paul goes on, and he's going to list seven specific gifts. You know, this list in Romans 12 is not an exhaustive list. There's also gifts listed in, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, in Ephesians 4, in 1 Peter 4. But we're going to talk about just these seven here this morning. And the first one he brings up is prophecy. He says, if prophecy, like if you have the gift of prophecy, then use it in proportion to your faith, or really the faith. So Paul begins with sort of this, if then. If this is your gift, then this is how you are to use this gift. How you use it in this specific area or in this specific way. Now the gift of prophecy is, is a gift that's designed to edify, to exhort, to, to bring comfort to believers. God has gifted some people with the ability to, to stand up like an Old Testament prophet and said, listen, this is what the Lord says. You know, repent from your sin, follow Jesus. But it says it is to be used in accordance to the proportion of, it's really in the Greek, the faith. 
In other words, when a prophet is using this gift, when someone is, is standing up and, and forth-telling, it needs to be in alignment with the, all the revelation and what God has already shared. As a prophet doesn't say, like, I, I feel like saying something new that God wants you to know. No, it has to stay in alignment with what God has already said. Now, these next three gifts, Paul changes it a, a little bit. He doesn't really say how or the manner in which they're going to be used, but he says, if this is your gift, then use that gift. Right, if your gift is service, then use it in your serving. If it's in teaching, then you your teaching. If it's in exhortation, then you better exhort. So service, which is the unique ability, the spirit-empowered ability to meet and serve and often see the needs of others, to meet practical needs. And if that is your gift, then find ways to serve. If your gift is teaching, which would be the ability to communicate maybe difficult things in a simple, understandable way. You know, sometimes people with these gifts have the uh, enjoy studying and taking what they've learned and, and communicating it in an understandable way. And if that's your gift, then teach. Find places to teach. If it's exhortation, which is challenging people, say, all right, now we know what is true. Let's go do it. You know, let's make the most of this. Let's, and you, you're always wanting to, to challenge and exhort people. If your gift is exhortation, then you better do some exhorting. I don't even know if that's a word. But exhort people. These last three gifts, Paul focuses now back more on how the gifts are to be used by the believer. This gift of giving, right? Someone who takes this, their resources and says, I want to give. And Paul says, how do you use that? If you have the gift of giving, then you be generous. I've given that gift to you so that you would be generous with what I have entrusted to you. So give. If your gift is leadership, the ability to lead people, the desire to, to say, hey, let's all go there, then you lead with zeal, with diligence. In other words, you can't get lazy in your leadership. You know, I've been in charge for a while. I'm just gonna take, take the the my foot off the gas pedal. No, God says, if, if I've given you the gift of leadership, then lead with zeal, lead with passion. If you, if you are the one who does acts of mercy or if you have the gift of mercy or compassion, then do it with cheerfulness. Often with the people of mercy or compassion are involved in the lives of people who are really struggling or walking through hard things. So it's real easy to grow weary, to be drawn down because you're, you're dealing with hard things all the time. And what Paul says, if this is your gift and you're using it, then remember, do it with joy. Those people you are serving, they need joy. They need to see the cheerfulness that God produces in your heart as you serve them. A joy that flows out of your relationship with Christ. So if you have been, if you've placed your trust in Christ, that God has given you gifts, which then begs the question, what do I do now? Right? Okay, I'm new to this following Jesus thing. It sounds a little weird, these spiritual gifts like superpowers. I know if you're not a Christian, it's okay, but it's what we believe and it's exactly the truth. What do I do with it? How, how do I know what my gifts are? Are. I mean, it'd be really nice if you come to faith in Jesus. was like, here's an owner's manual. Here's how you're made. Here's how you're wired. But that's not how it works. So the first thing we have to do in terms of our spiritual gifts is discover 
our spiritual gifts. It's a process of, of learning and gaining insight of what our gifts might be before we can start focusing in and using them. Well, how do we begin to discover how we've been gifted? Is we start serving and we start practicing. You get involved. You just start serving in ministries or in areas around the church. You don't know what your gifts are going to be until you start serving and trying them out. Right? And there are spiritual gift assessments, which are, which are helpful. You can you know, listen and say, do I enjoy this? Do I enjoy this? Does it bring me joy to do this? And those are helpful. But if you don't have experience in, in serving people in, in a, a, ver- a variety of ways then it's, it's, it's not going to be maybe necessarily completely accurate. But you start serving, and that's a way that you can begin to understand or discover what your gifts are. And now that our church is opening back up, you know, there's, there is going to be an increasing, overwhelming sense of needs that we have. There's, there's opportunities in the pre-K, in the children's, in exchange, in the student ministry. We, we need people with the gift of hospitality who can smile to greet people, to stand at the information desk and say, man, I'm so glad you're here. How can I help you? Where can I, where can I show you around? Serve with our local mission partnerships. Jinx Care Point, Isaiah 58. Serve, serve within your small group. There's so many roles within a small group that require many different gifts. Administrating, organizing, praying for one another, teaching, taking attendance. It's really important. But these gifts, there are places for you to serve. Serving on Wednesday nights. I'm sure that you were like this. I didn't know what my gifts were until I started just starting to serve. I was 29 years old when I first had the opportunity to preach to, you know, adults, which I'd been, you know, teaching kids, youth, for students for a long time, basically the same. But I, I had this first opportunity at a church, and someone I had worked with for almost already over a year, after that first service, they said, I had no idea you could do that. And I looked at her and said, I didn't either, because I had never tried. I had never been given that particular Opportunity. I'm saying these gifts, you don't know until you start using them. Start serving. Start practicing. Another way that we, we know what our gifts are is we look for joy and we look for fruit. When you start serving, there are going to be certain things that you do that you just feel extra joy, extra excitement, and an extra passion when you serve in that particular way. I know it doesn't... I know it doesn't sound ultra spiritual to say this, but look for the things that are really fun to you, like that you could do all day long and say, man, I love this. That could be where you are gifted spiritually. And then you look for fruit. You look for ways where the Spirit works through you in a unique way that blesses other people, that challenges other people, that encourages other people. You look for the fruit because when the spiritual gift is in operation, it just produces fruit more often. The example of the gift of evangelism. We are all commanded to share the gospel and we should find joy in that. But I know people that when, it seems like whenever they share the gospel, the person places their faith in Jesus. 
right? There's just a, a, a greater rate of fruit production when that gift is in place. So you look for joy and you look for fruit. It's like when you organize and administrate things, is there joy? When you serve or give or host people or pray over people or teach or lead or give mercy or compassion, when you encourage someone through a, a card or a note or a text, is there just something that bubbles up, up in you that says, man, I love this. People, and then people usually are gonna give you the next clue of a discovery is they are going to tell you, wow, when you do this, if you, you, you motivate me. So we listen for feedback. We listen for feedback from other believers. Fellow believers will tell you when the Spirit is working through you to encourage them, when, when, they, when they grow or when they're, when they're helped by you using that spiritual gift. I led worship for lots of years with students as a youth pastor, right? I mean, any good youth pastor, Brandon Wright, can, can play a guitar, Drew, no? Yeah, oh well. <clears throat> Nobody ever came up to me after all those years of playing guitar, which I could play, I can sing on too. No one said, man, would you lead worship? I feel like I'm just drawn up to the heavens. No one ever said that. Now, God still showed up and, and did good things. But I'm saying that that wasn't my gifting. But when I'm operating in my gifting, and it's not, it's not Nate, it's, it's God's gift. When, when I teach or when I preach, I, I often hear, not that I have to have it, but like, I know that's my gift. Because people say, thank you, or I understand that now. When, when Angie and I, we both have the gift of hospitality. So we love having people in our home, having people over. And when people come into our home, they say, man, I feel, I feel welcome here. I feel, I feel at peace, right? People give feedback when they know the gifts are in operation. So you listen for the feedback of people. To go back and to kind of summarize how Paul talks about these spiritual gifts in verses six through eight, there, there's two ways. Number one, he said, there's a manner, right? There's, there's how you use this gift. So there is a proper use of particular gifts. You need to properly use our spiritual gifts, right? If it's leadership, then do it in this way. If it's giving, then do it in this way. If it's acts of mercy, serve in this manner and serve with this motive. But the other thing that Paul says in this text is we are to serve in our gifting as much as we can. If your spiritual gift is serving, then you have a God-given responsibility to find ways to serve. If you have the gift of teaching, you should not be waiting, well, no one's ever asked me to teach, and you know this is your gift, then you seek for opportunities to teach. If you have the gift of exhortation, then you find those opportunities to challenge people, to encourage them. That is our responsibility. We have to view ourselves accurately, with humility, with sound, a biblical view of who we are, as essential, as unique function, as part of the body, as people who are gifted, and then we use those. We discover our gifts, and then we use them. As we close, I'm gonna talk about two, two commitments here. The first commitment is our, us as a church, or we as a staff to, to you. Our commitment as a church to you is help you discover your gifts. And I know because we've been talking, we want to be more intentional at helping you discover how you're wired, how you're designed, so that you can be put in a place 
where you can, you can bless the body, where you can do what you were made to do. And we will continue to get better, hopefully, and better and more intentional in that. Because our job is to equip you to do ministry. It's to launch you. But your commitment is the second part of the commitment. Your commitment must be to the body of Christ. You need to say that I am essential. I am needed. And I have a responsibility to discover what my gifts are and to use them. Not to come in and wait to be asked, but my responsibility is to say, God, how have you made me? Let me try some things out. Let me, let me give it a whirl at trying this. And then go do it. As we close here this morning, and the, the worship team who are gifted in the spiritual gift of worship, not Nate, is going to come up and lead us in a time of response. But I want to I challenge you. As, as life returns to normal, like it wasn't like spiritual gifts shut down during COVID. It was just they had to be used differently probably. But we, we have a job to do. We have a mission that God has left the church on the earth and this church on the earth, First Baptist Church of Jinx, Oklahoma. And whether you are an official member or an an active attender, we would love for you, and you can do that this morning, to become an official member by coming forward and say, I want, I want to plug in here. But you have a, a responsibility as a member of the body of Christ to serve, to help the church accomplish this mission of helping people connect to the God that they needed to do, a God who loves them, to the God who has, has saved them. And we'll have pastors here this morning. I'd encourage you, let's, let's go ahead and stand. And I want you to think and pray, God, how do I need to respond? Am I taking what you have gifted to me, these grace gifts, and am I using them faithfully in my family, with my, with my neighbors, within this church body? I would challenge you to say, to be faithful. If, if all this teaching and spiritual gifts and even what, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is, is new to you and you don't understand that, man, I, I know Jamie and Drew would love to visit with you this morning about that. To say, man, where are you in your, in your walk with Jesus? Do you have a relationship or do you not? If you don't, man, come, come talk to us about that. We would love to talk with you and help you understand what this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ means. But I want to challenge you right now to respond as the Lord leads you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you, in your grace, have sent Jesus to die for us, and that we are saved by grace and through faith. But yet you have also, through your grace, empowered us, given us gifts to be used to glorify you, to serve one another and to take the message of Jesus, the gospel message to people who don't yet know him. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be intentional to use those gifts in a way that honors you and it is by your spirit's power in our lives. I pray that, the, that we would respond as you would have us to respond and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.